0: Well, today I have the privilege of being in New York City and my guest for the Beeson Podcast is Dr. Greg Thornberry. He is the president of the King's College here in New York City and a wonderful friend for many years. Welcome, Greg, to the Beeson Podcast. It's exciting to be here. Thank you so much, Dr. George, for having me. Now, I want you to say just a little bit about your background. Your father was a pastor. Yes. Tell us a little bit about him and how you grew up uh, in the church. It's really a wonderful story
1: because my father went to central Pennsylvania in 1965, pastored the same congregation for 44 years in that place. Wow! When he went to central Pennsylvania, it was heavily dominated Lutheran territory. Many of those churches had strayed. And I had a deacon at the church who had been there when he came in that said he remembered my father's first sermon wow. at Winfield Baptist Church. And I said, what was it? And he said, John 3, you must be born again. Mm. And he said, we'd never heard that before. And so I grew up with a, with not only a godly father as a pastor, but a scholar as a pastor. My father wrote books on a- Asahel Nettleton and the mm. Second Great Awakening. David Brainerd, um, Spencer Houghton Cohn, the famous pastor of New York Uh, in the 19th century. My mother was a devoted reader of the Puritans. I'd eat bacon and eggs, and she'd read passages from Thomas Boston to me and Jonathan Edwards. So I came out of that rich evangelical background, uh, Lewisburg, PA, in the shadow of Bucknell University. Mm -hmm. I was having lunch with Tim Keller a couple of years ago. And I said, y- you lived in Lewisburg. You went to Bucknell, didn't-, didn't you? And he said, is your dad John Thornberry? <laughs> and I said, yes. He said, uh, I went to your dad's church when I was in college. Ah, isn't that great? So, uh, so it was a wonderful growing up. I went from there to Messiah College, mm-hmm. nearly lost my faith. I'm actually mm-hmm. writing in Christianity Today about this, mm-hmm. uh, about how higher criticism nearly took me off mm-hmm. off course um, and it was actually reading Carl Henry mm. that brought me back from the brink. And uh, I wound up going to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, 15 years at Union University in Tennessee, and uh, God brought me to Gotham here in the uh, summer of 2013 yeah. to be the sixth president of the
0: King's College. Now, I want to come back to some of your interests in Carl Henry and so forth. Sure. But tell us a little bit about the King's College. Uh, it's history, it's philosophy, it's vision. What's your vision for it? Sure. Well, the history of the college is uh,
1: fascinating and curious and a bit quixotic. Founded in 1938 on the same campus that Guglielmo Marconi developed the original radio apparatus, the wire, wireless girdle around the earth. Um, when Marconi went to serve in the Italian army uh, during the First World War, uh, that campus was sold to uh, later on to Percy Crawford, oh, yeah. the famous radio evangelist, and he founded the King's College okay. on that campus, 1938. The campus eventually landed in Briarcliff Manor, New York. It uh, flourished during the, the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, began to run into some trouble in the mid 80s, and by 1995, closed its doors. Mm-hmm. It uh, was reborn through the vision of Bill Bright, Mm. who said, I've been doing ministry on secular college campuses. Why don't we start a Christian college campus in a secular city? Mm. And that's where the vision came from for the current King's College, restarted in the early 2000s. And uh, since then, it's had a vision to be in the heart of this Alpha City and Here's the mission of the King's College, Timothy, and it's this, that um, if you think about Christian higher education as a landscape, Mm. there's um, 120 schools that are affiliated with the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities. King's is the only traditional residential Christian liberal arts college that's in an alpha city. Mm. And there's really nothing close that is a liberal arts college where it's sending students into business and finance and, and into law and government and media culture and the arts in a center city situation. Our, our address is Broadway at Exchange Place. Mm-hmm. So we are uh, in the heart of the financial district, right across the street from Trinity Church on Wall Street, mm-hmm. and we are sending Daniel and his companions into Nebuchadnezzar's court.
0: Uh, You know, that's such a different vision than Christian colleges in the 19th century, which were intentionally planted way out in the countryside you know, 50 miles from any known sin. Keep the students away. But you're you're coming right into the heart of, uh, you say, Gotham, uh, New York City, which is, of course, one of the world's great cities, but in so desperate need of the gospel. Uh, A few uh, years ago, uh, there, there were concerns in New York City about the loss of a Christian witness. And you made this statement. I think it was quoted maybe in the New York Times. Evangelical institutions have abandoned the cities, you said. New York is the seat of power on planet Earth, so it takes a consistent vigilance and focus and determination to stay in the game." Hmm. What did you mean by that? Well, I think that you've already
1: pointed to the fact that if you take a map of the great Christian institutions in our country, actually, my colleague Terry Mattingly, who is uh, coming to, on board to join us uh, on our journalism faculty at the King's College, was great. talking to a New York Times reporter last week, and he said, You're going to the King's College. Why? Why another Christian college? It's fairly new, and it's, you know, he, recent expression— why another Christian college? And Terry said, pull up the map of the CCCU schools. And he pulled it up and he said, oh, I get it. Mm. There's, there's not another institution that's doing quite what we're doing. The reason why we need to be here is, as Pope John, Saint jo- Pope John Paul II said uh, in his mass in Central Park, this is the capital of planet Earth. Mm. And when you look at the missionary strategy of the Apostle Paul, It was to go to the financial centers, to Mm. Ephesus, to Corinth, the business centers, and ultimately to Rome, the seat of the empire. And uh, the seat of the empire is here. And um, it's hard being in the city. Mm. There's a reason why other people don't do it. it. And that's what I meant by constant vigilance. It's easy to drift from your mission. And to lose your way.
0: Mm. Talk about how the King's College is connected to the life of the church in particular.
1: That's the best part of this story. You had a conversation with Eric Metaxas, mm. my best friend here in the city, who's also heavily involved in King's as a mm. senior fellow. And I was in a luncheon recently with Eric, and there were several King's students around, and there was a new friend of the King's community that was sitting there at the table. And these students were saying that they were going off into jobs at Goldman Sachs and to Barney's department store as a men's buyer and into the fashion industry and into journalism and media. And Eric paused and he said, I've been in the city here for about 25 years. 21 years ago, I felt like I virtually knew every single evangelical in the city. Now there are institutions and churches flourishing And he said, I can guarantee you, 20 years ago, you could have gone decades and never met a Christian Mm. at Barney's. (laughs) Now there's a Christian at Barney's. So what's happening? Now, I'll leave it to missiologists to decide if this is a revival. Mm. But there's certainly a Christian Orthodox resurgence in the city. 4% 4% now of of evangelical endeavor. And you go to certain churches like Tim Keller, mm-hmm. Redeemer Presbyterian, well-known, John Tyson, Trinity Grace Churches, that network of churches, Hillsong. You can't even get in to mm-hmm. the door if you don't show up early enough. Wow. So this is we are in the same neighborhood. Kings is in the same neighborhood that the Fulton Street Revival happened in. Yeah. Just a couple blocks away. And by God's grace, we, uh, under God, we would love to see something like that happen again.
0: Now, you're a person who takes seriously the world of ideas, Mm. and ideas have a shaping influence. You know, there was a book written some years ago. Ideas have consequences, Mm -hmm. and I want you to talk a little bit about the ideas of Carl Henry, sure, uh, on whom you wrote your dissertation. You've written a wonderful book on Carl Henry. we have a whole generation of younger evangelicals maybe who don't know so much about Carl Henry. Uh, tell us who he was and why you got interested in him and what perhaps he could even say to a situation like New York City.
1: Well, the reason why I wrote the book was I had a growing sense of, of concern, if not alarm, that the next generation of evangelicals... Uh, could not confess with the Apostle Paul, for you have countless guides in Christ, but not many fathers. Mm. Who are the fathers of evangelicalism? Carl F.H. Henry began as a newspaper man in New York City and was converted to Christ um, through the Oxford Movement Mm. and went to Wheaton College. And he never lost this sense that uh, a thoroughgoing biblically based and philosophically informed evangelical witness could shape public policy discussion, national conversations, political, racial, cultural, etc. He had a grand vision. His first book, as you know, was The Uneasy Conscience of Modern Fundamentalism, and his message to ...post-World War II pastors was, the globe has just been brought to its knees by, a, by Nazism and, a to- and totalitarian regimes, and unless the church speaks in to these arenas, not just how to be born again, mm. but into the realm of justice and politics and uh, ethical issues, we will not have the right... To participate in in the rebuilding of of what the West means. So he wrote these books with titles like Remaking the Modern Mind. It was an ambitious agenda. Mm. It was upbeat. It was was hopeful. And he really believed that there was an evangelical witness that could shape the zeitgeist. And I we we have our heads down, we're gloomy. We have apocalypticism now, and that was not the post World War II evangelicals like Carl Henry and Billy Graham and Harold J. Ockenga and and others, who had this this sense that evangelicals had something unique to contribute to the city. So I'll end. Uh, I'll say this uh, to your question about New York: Billy Graham and Carl Henry for years tried to start, they wanted to start a great Christian university in New York City. Right. They failed in the attempt, but outside of my door, of my office, May 9th, 1960 edition of Christianity Today, editorial from Carl F.H. Henry, Do We Need a
0: Great Christian University in New York City? Yeah, what a grand vision. You know, one of the things that Carl Henry, uh, I think, represents is both this commitment to the life of the mind, to thinking and reshaping, remaking the modern mind, as you say, an ambitious title, but also he never lost sight of the transforming power of Jesus Christ in a single life. Oh, absolutely. The last time he spoke at Beeson Divinity School, he gave his testimony. He Mm -hmm. told about how he became a Christian here in Long Island. And he and Billy Graham chaired the 1966 Berlin Congress on World Evangelism. This was deeply rooted in who he was as a Christian. The both and approach. The head and the heart. That's what I
1: wanted to also reconnect. I just talked to a young man doing his PhD. He had read my book on Carl Henry. He's interested in contemporary and modern theology reading a lot of Bart, reading all the all of the contemporary theologians and was wondering uh how to reappropriate carl henry he had been reading my book and i said you cannot lose sight of the fact that everything carl henry did these six massive volumes on religious epistemology were in the service of evangelism Mm -hmm. yeah i happen you knew carl I happened to get to know him fairly well in his last couple of years. I went to many restaurants with him, picked him up at the airport. He asked everyone he met, have you met the risen Lord? Yeah. He thought that
0: was the greatest theological question of our time. He never got over the excitement of knowing Jesus Christ. Absolutely anymore. not. How it had transformed his life. So, uh, what a wonderful vision and a wonderful place to carry that out. Now, Uh, You're speaking to people on the Beeson podcast of many different walks of life, but including a lot of pastors. Mm. And I wonder if you would just say a word to pastors right now in terms of the calling, the vocation. How can they best advance the glory of God in in a broken time when people are hurting and there doesn't seem to be much of a center if you look externally? What's the role of a pastor in a moment like ours? You know, just before I came to do
1: this podcast, Timothy, I I had lunch with David Kennedy, who's a professor of criminal justice at John Jay College here in New York City. He wrote a New York Times bestseller blockbuster several years ago called Don't Shoot. And it was about uh, how to transform uh, local communities away from uh, gang crime and, uh, and, and drug lords. Mm. He had amazing success in Boston. He's done this in cities all across America. You know what he talked to me about? What has to be mobilized in order to transform cities. We have to step away from centralized government and an emphasis on police and recover the moral voice of grandmothers mm. and of church leaders. The church leader is set in media ray, mm. in the middle of the action. I, I view the local church pastor as Wyatt Earp, <laughs> out on the, the boundaries of the great wild west, confronting the darkness. And uh, mm. there, is, uh, there is no one else. We're not smarter than God. Mm. The, the, the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, has been given to the local church. Yeah. to communicate so praise God for Beeson Divinity School praise God for the King's College we're not the church mm. you as a pastor if you're listening to this you are God's desi- designated force to interpret the mystery of the gospel for our time and there's no other answer than you
0: wonderful you know this was also the vision of another uh, mutual friend of ours Charles Colson. yes uh, he wrote a book called The Body, which I think is his best book, not his most famous book. We all remember his story, Born Again, and many other books. But he wrote a book about the body because he said, The church of Jesus Christ has something to do and something to say that no one else can do and no one else can say. And I think right now that is a word that needs to be reclaimed uh, in a time when the churches very often find it tough going in this culture. I think that we've
1: fallen into a fundamentalism by default. Not the old fundamentalism of how, you know, long are women's skirts and how short is men's hair. But it's a fundamentalism of retrenchment. We are intimidated by, by um, what we perceive as this secularization narrative, which we need to confront and debunk. Mm-hmm. Peter Berger's most recent book, The Many Altars of Modernity, just came out this fall. In it, he says something interesting, Timothy. He basically apologizes for ever advancing this secularization thesis. He says, we need to stop talking about that and and accept the fact that we live in a pluralistic age. Now, if you think about pluralism, that is an invitation. Mm. It's an invitation to enter into public space and to make your case. Berger's point is that previous generations traded on, purely on tradition. As wonderful as tradition is, people are now in a position of having to decide, do I want to accept the faith of previous generations? It's up to us to enter into that melee, this cultural soup that we find ourselves in, this milieu, and make the case. And um, we find ourselves right back where billy graham and Mm. carl henry were in that chaotic post-world war ii period and i for
0: one like our chances i'm so glad uh, you're at the king's college that god has led you here for this moment in time i wish you every blessing my guest today on the Beeson podcast has been my friend dr greg thornberry he's the president of the king's college here in new york city thank you greg for this wonderful conversation thank you so much dr george You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational, evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition